and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we'll commence reading from verse 18 to verse 30, but our concentration this morning is verse 28. And as you turn to that portion of God's word, just one quick announcement or addition to the announcements that were done is that this coming Lord's Day, we will be having the Lord's Table or the Lord's Supper, but we'll also be having the baptismal service. Now, we will have two baptismal services this coming Lord's Day, in the morning and in the afternoon. So the group is fairly large, or the numbers are good, grateful to the Lord for that, so we will divide uh, the numbers into two. So we'll have one in the morning, and then we'll have one in the evening. We don't want to keep you longer than usual in the morning service, uh, but so we decided to split the group, so we'll have one in the morning, and then we'll have one in the evening. So do pray for the baptism of service, and do pray for the Lord's service, the Lord's day this coming Sunday. Romans chapter 8, as we continue in our series of messages asking the question, can God really? And we begin reading from verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, and for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. 
And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. Last Lord's Day, we continued wrestling with the question, can God really? And last Lord's Day, we were looking at the question and answering the question, can God really sustain me? Can God really sustain me? And as we looked at that question, we were saying that as believers, oftentimes we are convinced of God's provisions, that God is able to provide for us, but situation or needs arise and we begin to ask the question whether God can sustain us as we go through different situations. And we did this by looking at the life of Elijah as recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 7. And from this narrative, it was clear that God is not just able to provide, but God is able to sustain us. This morning, again, we continue asking the question, can God really? And this time around, we are asking the question, can God really cause all things to work together for my good? Or are all things working together for my good as recorded for us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And in that verse, we see the self-assured promise of God's amazing grace. The Bible is very clear, as recorded for us in that book, that all things, bad and good, are working for the good of those who love God. And as you journey through life on earth, we easily as believers lose sight of this truth. We get so consumed with the happenings around us that we, begin, we fail to see the connection, the divine connections of all that shapes our existence. We fail to see that God is causing all things to work for your good, and that good is God's ultimate purpose for you, that you become like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we journey through this earth, we fail to see that the twisting tragedies that injure us, or those moments of, of great delight that brings laughter to our souls, are all part of all things that are working for our good. And the question that we must be constantly asking ourselves as Christians is how can I see God in all the activities of my life, all the happenings of my life, including the setbacks of my life? How can I recognize that behind all these events there is an all-wise God 
There is an all-knowing God, a God who has a purpose, and I can journey through this life with hope, knowing that there is God. And when you wrestle with these questions, the answers are in God's word. God has given us these assurances, has given us these answers, and the Bible shows us that there is a grand weaver, a grand designer behind everything that is in existence. And one just needs to open the Bible and to the book of Genesis and you see that book demonstrating man's inadequacies without God. Just from the onset of the Bible, the book shows us that life without God, man without God, is inadequate. He's incomplete. And the book itself demonstrates, the book of Genesis, right from the onset, that man with God is complete and can enjoy fellowship with God. And that fellowship with God is the supreme happiness and it's the supreme desire of human beings. And this supreme desire, the peace, the joy, the happiness that the world longs for is only found in God. And Romans chapter 8 brings this truth to bear upon our minds that all things work for good of those who love God. It is a verse that is most memorized, most quoted, a verse that brings a sense of hope to Christians going through different situations, a verse that gives directions, but sadly also one of the most misquoted and misunderstood verses in the Bible. And I want us to narrow down into that verse, Romans 8.28, that as we open up that verse and at the back of our minds as we ask the question, can God really cause all things to work for my good? Or is God working all things for my good? And as you ask yourself that question, and as you, you are in this midst of, of a, a circumstance or a, a situation, and this verse will bring hope to you if you are a child of God. And if you are not a Christian, this verse is an invitation for you to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all things are working for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So it's not an automatic or open invitation to everyone. It's a verse that is true for Christians and an invitation to those who are not Christians. So let's open up that verse and draw lessons for ourselves. 
Can God really cause all things to work for your good? And the answer is yes. Why? Because of his his certain and comprehensive promise that he gives us in that verse. In that verse, God gives us a certain and comprehensive promise. And this is what the first half of the verse is saying. And we know that all things, and we know that all things, for those who love God, they are working together. And notice the assurance that the Apostle Paul begins this wonderful verse with. He says, and we know that all things. He's not saying, and we hope. He's not saying, but I feel. He's not saying that I desire, I long, I wish. He's basically, he begins this verse with, with a conjunction, the word and. And as he begins this verse, he's connecting this verse to everything that he's been dealing with in this portion of the scriptures. He's already been highlighting a number of things in this verse. And the Apostle Paul has labored to show that the Holy Spirit dwells within the believer and he makes intercessions for the believers according to the will of God. And he's basically saying, even when we don't know what to pray for, God the Holy Spirit is directing God's children according to a definite plan. And they are praying in that direction. And the Holy Spirit intercedes and helps in that regard. And the Apostle Paul has highlighted the whole aspect of suffering in this portion of Scripture. And he's saying, when I look at my, what I'm going through now, my present afflictions, and I think of the glory that is not only mine in Christ, but the glory that awaits for me. The present sufferings are nothing. And he says, we can't even begin to compare the two. And as he does that, he gets to this verse and begins with a conjunction. And he says, and we know all things, bad and good, all things are working for the good of God's children. And in that, we are given not only a certain, but also given a comprehensive promise. Paul is assured and he's guaranteed and he's convinced that God makes, has made specific promises to his children. And these specific promises are all encompassing. 
The whole experience that God allows his children to go through is part of his definite plan for them. And Paul, oozing with confidence, is saying, and we know. It's not that we doubt. This knowledge is true. It's a reality. We know it. Why? God has already given us his spirit who dwells in us. This is what Paul is saying. Believers know that God's promises are certain. They are all-encompassing. And he's not speculating that perhaps God is in control. He is reminding us of this truth found in God's word. And is assured that this is true. And the question for you this morning is it, do you have this assurance? Do you have this confidence? Do you, do you have the certainty of Romans 8? In your own soul, a reality, a truth that you hold on to, not because of any insights that you may possess, but because God has said it. And the God who says and made this promise is not like us who change, He's a God who is all-wise, all-knowing, a God who cannot make a mistake. And he makes this promise, and it is this God who is yours in Christ. It is this God who saved you from your sins. It is this God who brought everything into existence and saved you from your sins. And it is this God who says it in his word. And we know that all things, good or bad, are working for your good. Do, do you have this promise? Do you have confidence? Is this true of you? Mayor, a man by the name of Mayor in his, in his book, commenting on the certainty of God's promises, writes, and I quote, if any promise of God should fail, the heavens would clothe themselves in sacroth. The sun, the moon, and the stars will spin from their courses, and the hollow wind would sigh throughout a ruined creation. In short, there will be no hope for anyone or anything on earth. End of, of court. So as you journey through life with all its ups and downs, are these words a lifeline to you? 
that I don't know what tomorrow holds. In fact, if I think of tomorrow, I'm horrified by the fact that it will be more chaotic than today. As I look at the events of my life, every day seems to be getting worse and worse. And I don't even want to think of what tomorrow holds. I don't even want to think of what the next minute or two holds. But is this a lifeline that brings hope to you? Same with the Apostle Paul, that we know that all things work for the good of those that love God. And what the scriptures are saying to us is that all things means that God is at the beginning. He's also at the end, but he's also in between. He's right there with you throughout the course of your life on earth. He's not just at the beginning. He's also at the end. He's also right in between. He is there. And it is not blind faith. No. It's a living reality that has been known, that has been experienced, and that is being lived out by his children. And the Bible is telling us there about this certain and comprehensive promise of God. But secondly, we also note that as we ask the question, can God really cause all things to work together for my good? The answer is yes. But what is our surety? Our surety is because of also the, the, com the complex of the promise of God. Because of his complex promise. And where are we getting that? And we know that all things work together for good. All things work together for good. The Apostle Paul looks upon this shifting, changing, complex world. And he says that yes, all these things are working together for his good. They are not working in isolation. They are not isolated events. Rather, they are working together for the good of God's children. They are working together towards a specific goal. The glory of God and conforming God's children into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word in the original working together or work together is a word in which we, go, we get our English word synergy. And that word synergy, when you, when you look at our dictionaries, 
it actually gives us the idea or it means a combined or correlated action or actions. A combined or correlated actions. James Merritt, in his book, he explains the word synergy thus. Synergy is what happens when the individual parts of something come together into one, thereby having a greater and a better effect than each individual part could have on its own. It is it's what happens when the individual parts of something come together into one, thereby having a greater and a better effect than each individual part could have on its own. And the Apostle Paul is basically saying, as he looks at the shifting shadows, the complexity of life, and he sees beyond that. He sees a God who's constant, who's working all these things for our good. As this moves and shifts, as there is this uncertainty, this inconsistency from our human perspective, the Apostle Paul goes beyond that and he sees a constant God who's holding all things together, who has a master plan, and he sees how all these things are working together. And he sees his life as a piece of a puzzle in the hands of God. And God is the one who knows the ultimate design that he's working at and is putting pieces in its place. And, and the words work together in the original language are, are, what are they're in what is called the active voice. And in the present tense, indicating that this activity planned by God is ongoing to a specific goal. And the elements involved are components that are melodiously operating together to a grand conclusion. All things work together for God. Bad and good, hard and difficult times, trying moments of our lives, they are all working together to the ultimate good. And this ultimate good is defined by God himself. Not what you think is good. Not what you deem to be good. But God's standard of good. And God's standard of good is that we become like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore God will move into your life. 
withdraw some of the comforts in order for you to be conformed into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's difficult for us to comprehend. And especially those of us who are not Christians. For us, if there is a God, then this God must work for my good, and that good is something that I must define. And as long as that definition doesn't fit in my definitions of good, then there's no God. Then this God must be bad. And this thinking is so inconsistent, inconsistent rather, is that for human beings, we easily accept chemical formulas or scientific formulas as absolute standards and truth. For instance, every molecule of water has two atoms. Two atoms of hydrogen and one atom of oxygen. And the formula H2O remains true. No matter what race of people, gender is analyzing it. It remains true. We accept as absolute truth. No one really says, look, this is not fair. How is it that in water, there are two atoms of hydrogen and one atom of oxygen? To make it fair, let's add two atoms of oxygen to water. Now, you can do that if you want. But you try and drink that. It will melt your intestines. We simply just accept that. But when it comes to the issue of, of spiritual matters, when it even comes to the issues of morality, we somehow want to be the standards. We want to be the ones to come up with the definitions of what morality is. Instead of using that same thinking that we use in chemical formulas, or another example would be the fact that our table salt, or the salt that we use in our homes, is made of two poisons, sodium and chloride. But the, 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 the right amount of both, when mixed, produces a useful chemical we call salt which is useful for us. But when it comes to the issues of morality, when it comes to the issues of spirituality, when it comes to the real question about who you really are, what is the chief end of man, you begin to be inconsistent in your thinking. You begin to wrestle and question everything around you. And instead of you pausing and analyzing and asking the right questions, 
You begin to put yourself as a standard of what morality ought to be. And the reason is simple. You don't want anyone to hold you accountable for your moral actions. And the moment you say there is God, there is a grand designer behind all these things, it automatically means you are held accountable by that God. Because it is this God who says what is right and what is wrong. And the moment you say, yes, there is God, you know that you are morally accountable to him, you are spiritually accountable to him, and you must do as he please. And that is at the heart of rejection of God. Somehow, you want to be the center of all things. You want to exist in God's world and deny the creator and the designer of that world. He is behind all these things, working for the good of those who are his, but also inviting you who is coiling in rebellion against this God to come to this moment of truth. All things are working together for good. And then the last thing we see there is the condition of promise that God gives. All things are working together for the good of those who love God, those who accord according to his purpose. God himself gives a condition. And this promise hangs on this condition. And this condition is, is for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. This promise is not automatic. This promise does not apply to everyone. Only the person who loves God, only one who is called according to the purposes of God, only one who has been transformed by God and is living his life daily in full view of God's love and is living his life for the honor and glory of God because this God has saved them from their sins. This promise is for them. It's not for everyone who reads and claims that because God created us, therefore this promise is mine. No, the condition that God gives, that all things are working together for the good of those who love God. Those who've been called according to his purposes. So if we were to say the, the human side or the human condition of this promise is those who love God. It is those 
who have put God as their ultimate object of their love. They esteem him higher than anything else in this world. And they have given themselves to this God. And everything that this God demands, the sacrifices that they make at a human level cannot be compared to the love they found in God, in Christ Jesus. Those who live in this hope are those who have made God the object of their delight, the person whom they love. He's the one who thrills their souls. He's the one who delights them. He's the one who has captured everything about them. And their love for this God is not a fleeting love. It's a consistent love. It's a love that is anchored in what God has done in Christ Jesus. And it is a love that was given to them in that moment when they put their hope and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they are con constantly energized by this reality. But the, the divine side of this condition it's that it is for those who are called according to the purposes of God. That's the opposite side of the coin. The one side which we can look at as a human condition, it's those who love God. The other side, which is the divine side, it's those who are called according to the purpose of God. And this shows us that salvation is of God. He's the one who calls. He's the one who justifies. He's the one who moves into the situation and brings about life into a dead soul and brings him to a point to see their desperate need of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God coming into a world where there are just dead bodies and he breathes into these dead bodies spiritual life. And he makes them to see their situation and that their only hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he enables them to call upon this God. It is those who are called according to the purpose of God. And so the scripture here, this verse, is not addressing everyone. It's addressing those who have come to love God by faith in Christ Jesus. Those who know that they've been called according to the purposes of God. And therefore, whatever it is that life throws at them on earth, it is because it's according to the purposes of God. God is the one who's behind all things working, but he's also giving them grace to endure. 
and to faithfully serve him in this world. It is those who know that their sins have been forgiven and they can live life on earth within all its complexity, trusting God, knowing what God is doing, that even in those moments when they are confused, they know they love God. God has, is real to them and they are living according to his purposes. And what this means is that those who do not love God, hate God, they are under the wrath of God because they live their lives as if there is no God. Yet every day the evidence is thrown at them in creation, in the salvation of their friends, relatives and neighbors. And as they journey through this life, their hatred for God grows because life is not going the way they want. It's not going according to their timetable. And when they come across Christians who are talking about the love of God, they call within them. And they, they, they wish they could just blot God out of the scene. They hate God. They are under the wrath of God. Because they don't like him. They don't love him. And this promise is not for them. It's only for those who love God. But also this verse is an invitation to you this morning to come to know this God who works all things for the good of those that love him. It's an invitation for you, to you. Have you responded to God's call of salvation? Are you part of God's saving purpose? There's no middle ground. It's a yes or no. Those are the questions that you need to wrestle with until you can come to a point where you can say with certainty that yes, God has brought me to life from my spiritual deadness and I'm now alive in Christ Jesus and I know that I love this God not because I loved him first, but because he loved me first and gave me his spirit who dwells in me. Have been forgiven of my sins. I know it. I believe it. And I trust that God has saved me. And every day that I live, there are so many things that I cannot prove or I cannot give sufficient proof. But there's something that I can point to and give you sufficient proof. It's the depravity of human beings. 
a fact that is every day resisted. Yet it is a truth that stares in our minds, in our faces rather, every day. Lives are being ruined by drugs, by all kinds of vices. And when I see that, I see the truth of God's word as recorded in the scriptures. The heart is desperately wicked. I see it every day. I was there, but God saved me. And now I can see what sin is doing in the lives of individuals. And this is the greatest proof I have to show the truth of the scriptures. The depravity of human minds. The depravity of the human hearts. Your lives show that truth. You may argue all you want. You may dispute it all you want. But you know it. You want proof that the scriptures are true? Your life. Your sinful life is proof enough that you are dead in sin and trespasses. You need Christ. Christ alone can bring spiritual life into your soul. Christ alone makes this difference. He's the one who came, lived out this very verse while on earth. He knew no sin, yet he willingly came into this world to die for sinners. And while he was in, on this earth, the depravity of human hearts did not swed him from his goal. He knew, he was convinced that all things work for the good of those that love God. And he obeyed his father in everything, even to the point of death on the cross. And he was raised on the third day, now seated on high, interceding for those who love him, who've come to know and believe in him for salvation. And it is those who are able to say, God can really cause all things to work for my good. In fact, God is working all things for my good. And even in those ups and downs of my life, tragedies, ill health, God is working for my ultimate God. And that is assuring for me that in a world full of uncertainties, there is something or someone who is certain 
God. And if you are not a Christian, we, we want you to know this God. We present this God to you who died for your sins, who intercedes for you before his father's throne. There are so many things that you never understand on earth. There will be no answers to satisfy your curious mind. But Jesus satisfies the longings of your souls because he saves from sin. And if this assurance is not yours, don't continue living in the world of uncertainties, rejecting the only certain being who is being offered to you. We will be singing a hymn in closing, a hymn that speaks of God's love for those who are his. And the hymn writer in one of the stanzas says, things that were once wild alarms cannot now disturb my rest. Pillowed on a clothed in everlasting arms, pillowed on the loving breast, or to lie forever here, self-resign and doubts all cease. And while God whispers in my ear, I am his and he is mine. That's the Christian testimony. That's the Christian message. That is, once upon a time, I worried about so many things. I was concerned about so many things. A lot of things bring, brought a lot of pain and fear and anxieties in my life. Then Jesus, my Savior, I met. And I can lie on his loving breast and hear him whisper to me, I am yours and you are mine. Oh, that you too may find this salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. Amen.